Welcome sleuths, suspects, and witnesses to day six of the mystery of the missing manuscript. We are in search of the sedonic manuscript which has been taken from the library shelves. We don't know who has it, but we'll figure it out before the month is over. Tonight, as every night, we begin with a reminder of why I'm trying to push things along and keep things on track. We've got a shorter um, interrogation night tonight because we have three, count them, three readers, uh, authors coming in to read tonight for you. So our interrogation session will be a little bit abbreviated tonight. Um, also on uh, February 14th, we will not be having an event because chocolate and hearts and flowers and spending time with your loved ones or in solitude, whatever floats your boat. Okay. <clears throat> Whoops. There we go. Tonight's author readings. Andrew Allen Smith will be reading from his book, Yet Another Slice of Fear. This is a brand new book, you guys. It's only like a week old. So check it out. Um, you're going to hear a story from it tonight or a piece of a story from it tonight, and then you can go find it. It is available out in the world. Also tonight, Gabriel Miro is going to be reading his recently republished manuscript called Witched. This is a really fun book. I think you guys are going to enjoy that reading as well. Also tonight, D.A. Reed, our intrepid Deborah Reed reporter, will be reading from her brand new book. We have, we have like young book children in the room tonight, which is fantastic. Um, she's going to be reading from The Wonderland Code and secret, secret mystery guest Matt Reed is also in the room tonight. Matt and Deborah collaborated on this brand new book together, and he's going to be doing the reading with her. And just because I'm that kind of person, uh, we're going to start with Matt and Deborah reading from Wonderland Code. Can you hold up the book pretty please for me so everybody can see it? This is the Wonderland Code from Deborah and Matt Reed. And I might be the only one reading because I asked him if he wanted to and he wasn't too sure about the idea. Well, okay. He's a suspect. You know what? We, we appreciate your energy in the room. And of course, your, um, as a debut author, we welcome you into the madness of our community. Did she so. just shame him out loud to everybody? I did not. Come I did on, not. You? <laughs> All right. If you are ready, Deborah and Matthew both singularly uh, take the microphone and read aloud, please. Chapter one. <laughs> there were fewer things in life David Caldwell hated more than flying. It stood to reason then that he would eventually find himself on a plane again. Ma'am, David gestured toward the flight attendant walking toward him. Can I get a whiskey, please? The woman's smile tightened ever so slightly as she leaned over his seat. Her name tag read Vicky. He'd always hated that name. There was a girl in his third grade class named Vicky who sat behind him and constantly poked him back with her pencil when she was bored, which was all the time. To that very day, David swore he had permanent lead marks in his back because of her. We will be by with a beverage card after we have taken off, sir. David glared up at Vicky with equal amounts of annoyance and desperation. I need the drink in order to be able to handle takeoff. I'm sorry, sir. It's against policy to distribute beverages until we are in the air. Lesson one, 
follow the rules. But I need a drink right now. Can't you just slide it to me when no one's looking? I'll be discreet. David could see the exact moment when the flight attendant marked him as difficult in her mind. Her eyes flickered ever so slightly. Vicky was trained well, but everyone had their limits. Hers was apparently grouchy men demanding alcohol at nine o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, sir. I will make sure you get it as soon as possible. The flight attendant's smile was sickly sweet now, and David knew it was unlikely he would ever see that whiskey. He glared at her, ready to give her a piece of his mind, when she straightened abruptly and turned away. Yep, trained well. Lesson two, no one to exit the scene with a difficult passenger. Leaning his head back against the seat, David tried to breathe deeply and relax. There were other flight attendants. He just grabbed one of them on their way by with the beverage cart and get that whiskey. No, he'd get two. Maybe three if he could snag one off the cart when they weren't paying attention. He would have a nice buzz, maybe fall asleep. The plane would not crash and he would find the nearest bar once they landed and get himself properly drunk. You know, it's not in my business, but you would get further if you were polite. David's head came off the seat as he turned to look at the matronly woman in the seat next to the window. Her glasses were too big for her face, her lifeless and dull brown hair pulled into a ponytail at the nape of her neck, and a baggy sweatshirt with jeans that screamed, stay-at-home mom who's given up on her appearance. She was also hogging the armrest. You're right, I didn't ask you. The woman's eyes narrowed behind her glasses, and David could tell he was about to endure a lecture of epic proportions about manners. To avoid it, he once again leaned his head back and closed his eyes. Guilt tap danced on the fringes of his mind, but David ignored it, or tried to anyway. He knew he was being rude, but come on, he was stressed to the breaking point. That should qualify for an exemption of any bad behavior. Then why did he still feel guilty? Mean. Eyes popping open despite his best efforts to block out the world, aka the other, pass AKA the other passengers on the cramped plane, and the fact that soon he would be zooming through the air in a tin can, David came face to face with a small and round cherubic face. Well, a cherub with a scolding look on its miniature features. Mean man, a small chubby finger jabbed in his direction. There you go. Condemned by the most innocent of all creatures, a child. David felt his face flush hot as other passengers turned to stare. The kid, who couldn't have been more than two, leaned over the armrest, her mortified mother pulling on her shirt in a silent urge to get her daughter to sit back and stop reprimanding the stranger across the aisle. Whatever happened to stranger danger, David wondered, a prickle of irritation moving along his skin. Shouldn't the little cherub's mother be admonishing her gregarious daughter that talking to strangers was dangerous? Smart kid, that one, the woman beside David sat back, grinning with satisfaction as she pulled a home and garden magazine out of the gigantic purse resting on the floor at her feet. She's got you pegged. And with that, David's irritation evaporated and the shame that edged his mind earlier came back in force. He really was being rude. It wasn't the passenger's fault that he was petrified of flying. And it wasn't the flight attendant's fault that she couldn't serve alcohol before the wheels of the death machine he was strapped into were still on the tarmac. It was hard to miss the fact that none of the other passengers jumped in to defend him to the curly-haired tot glaring at him. Even the mother wasn't trying too hard to get her daughter back in her seat. The woman's exhausted eyes still held a touch of embarrassment, but now carried judgment as well, toward him. Look, I'm sorry. David's hands went into the air, palms outward in a gesture of surrender. I hate flying, and I'm a little on edge. The little girl didn't look pacified in the least. At least her mother finally dragged her back from the aisle and into the seat beside her. 
The woman beside him, however, switched into full mom mode. Oh my, she cooed, one hand coming to rest on David's arm. He tried not to yank it away, sure that wouldn't bode well for the apology still hanging in the air. Honey, I've got some Xanax if you need it. David glanced at the woman in shock, one that the frumpy woman next to him, who looked completely at ease, had drugs stashed in her purse, and two that they had skipped right over sleeping pills and other more modest options and went straight for Xanax. Though the thought was tempting, he paused. Let me just find them, the woman muttered to herself as she dug through her massive tote. I'm okay, really. He wasn't, but was he was more his choice for numbing anxiety. Then, more loudly, since the woman was on a single-minded mission and seemed to have blocked out everything else, ma'am, really, I'm fine. She finally sat back, pushing stray tendrils away from her flushed face. Oh, sweetie, don't call me ma'am. And don't call me sweetie and honey, David mentally snapped. Reel it in, was his next thought, inhaling deeply to calm himself. My name is Rhoda. Rhonda? David's forehead lined with confusion. The woman let out a guffaw that had him shrinking back against the armrest of his seat. No love. Rhoda. Like the word road with an uh at the end. David bit back the, I'm sorry, that was on the tip of his tongue before it could spill out. Being critical of a name was a great way to alienate someone. He knew from previous experience. What's your name, dear? David. It came out faintly as he became distracted by the flight attendants walking the aisles, doing a last check of the overhead compartments, tray tables, and seatbelts. They didn't have to worry about his seatbelt. It was cinched so tightly across his lap it was hindering blood flow. No kidding, Rhoda seemed delighted. My, my middle boy is named Dave. Again, he bit his tongue. People shortening his name to Dave was a pet peeve that, he, that wouldn't die. Unfortunately, people seemed intent on continually using nicknames instead of full names, no matter how many times he introduced himself as David and stressed the last syllable. So why are you on a plane, seeing as how you disliked them so intensely? Rhoda's gaze was expectant. Flight attendant Vicky was standing in the aisle as the video monitors embedded in the seat backs in front of the passengers flickered to life with the automated safety instructions. Vicky began throwing the, going through the motions with a thoroughly bored look on her face. David, however, was energized by panic as the plane began pulling away from the loading ramp. It was a personal rule not to divulge details of his life to total strangers, but anxiety had apparently short-circuited his brain because he turned to road with an uh at the end and started blabbing. My uncle died. Oh, I'm so sorry, love, Rhoda crooned her hand on his arm again. David hoped she couldn't feel how tight the muscles were from the tension radiating through his body. Well, I didn't actually know him. No less important, love. Rhoda shook her head emphatically. Family, known or unknown, is what grounds us, gives us identity, she continued. My Nana said that. Wise woman she was. David's nostrils flared. This was going to take forever if Rhoda didn't shut up. <laughs> well done. Thank you very, very much. Uh, Matt, again, welcome to the author community. We are very happy to have you with us, and we hope to see you at many more of these events in the future as an author. Well, Thank, you, Thank you, Deborah, for your reading. Yeah. Okay, next up, we're going to have Gabriel read from his book, Witched. Uh, Gabe, I'm really hoping you have a copy that you can hold up for us. Yay! Okay, really hold it up so that we can see it. There you go. It's called Witched. Um, okay, Gabriel, when you are ready, please turn on your microphone and read aloud. 
So where are we going? I asked, trying to be sly. It's a surprise, Amethyst cries, exhaling cigarette smoke. So? You do know the meaning of the word, right? The truth is I've never really liked surprises. The unknown presents far too many variables to keep everything in order. I am too much of a control freak. I continue to watch out the window as we enter a part of town that I've not been to yet. I honestly didn't know that Willow's Crest had a downtown. Trees fade away and are replaced by brick and mortar. Willow's Crest downtown is in no way comparable to Detroit's downtown concrete jungle, but I am impressed. Amethyst parks in a lot of squat brick building with gypsies stenciled lavishly in the large glass front. Gypsies? I ask, confused. It's in the cult shop, Amethyst explains, grinding her cigarette out under the heel of her boot. You said you'd never been to one, so I thought it would be fun for us to go together. They do tarot cards, palm readings, and they sell stuff here, too. So I thought I'd get you one for your birthday. I can't help but smile at Amethyst's genuine thoughtfulness. I'd be lying if I said that I had no curiosity whatsoever about occult shops. Thanks, I say. As we approach the storefront, I see an older Black woman standing in the window watching us intently. She's staring at us, I ask. Looks like it, Amethyst admits. The woman has the door open before we even get to it. In her hands is a steaming cup, wearing a floor-length glittery purple robe. Round her neck are several silver necklaces. Her hair is tucked under a red turban. I've been expecting you, the woman says, handing me the cup. It's Earl Grey, your favorite. She has an accent that I can't place. Maybe the Caribbean? Mm. Thank you, I say politely, shooting a look at Amethyst, who shakes her head. Hmm. I glance down into the tea and notice that there is no tea bag, yet the amber-colored tea is there. We enter the store, and immediately I can smell incense, a heavy amount of incense. I'm instantly reminded of summer trips to the Renaissance Festival. My eyes roam around at the schizophrenia of the room. Shelves lined with books, counters displaying incense and oils, crystals, talismans, herbs and spices, you name it. Drink, the woman commands, ushering me toward a plush red chair across from a round wooden table, complete with a crystal ball and several decks of tarot cards. I sit down across from her. There's only one seat on this side of the table, so Amethyst stands there awkwardly. This is a private reading, the woman says to Amethyst. Feel free to browse. Amethyst looks at me for confirmation. I nod, and she goes to look at crystals. The woman sits down and watches me intently, hands steepled under her well-defined chin. So, uh, your name is Gypsy? I ask, taking a sip of the tea. I'm astounded that it's just how I like it, complete with the honey. No, I'm Seanette, the woman replies, not smiling. The name sounds exotic, and I kind of like it. I've always liked exotic things. Years ago, I decided that if I ever have a daughter, I'll name her Annika. Of course, then I realized how much I loathe children. It was really nice of my friend Amethyst to call ahead and make this appointment for me. Your friend didn't make an appointment, Shonette informs me. Oh, well, how did you know that I would be here today then? I saw it in my crystal ball. She's completely straight-faced as she says this. 
Either she is a good actress or she truly believes it's crap. I saw that you'd come to me on the eve of your 21st birthday. Despite the heat being on, a chill races up my spine and all of the hairs on my body stand straight up. This is freaky. What did you check my Facebook or something? I tried to laugh it off. There are a few pictures of me drinking Earl Grey in my Facebook. That must be how she knew that it was my favorite. Or she and Amethyst are conspiring together. I did not need to. I learned everything from the crystal ball. She looks at my teacup. Leave a little at the bottom, she orders. I take a deep gulp of the warm tea and hand her the cup. Shakes her head and instructs me on what to do. Shift the cup to my left hand and switch it three times, left to right, or placing the saucer on top and slowly turning it over so that the minute amount of tea drains out. Dawnette lets it drain for a minute or so before motioning for me to turn the teacup upright again. Specks it intently and then picks it up. I've never had my tea leaves red before. I confess as nervousness sets in. Sometimes when I'm nervous, I, I babble to compensate. Silence, Seanette barks. I must concentrate. Astized, I sit in silence, chewing my Seanette looks the cup over as if she's a detective searching for evidence of DNA. At least she's thorough. Turns the cup over and over, tutting to her. I get impatient and look across the store to see Amethyst flipping through a musty old tone. It is as I feared, Seanette finally says. What? Feared? I can feel myself beginning to panic. There is a serpent symbol near a leaf in the shape of a D. Beware a man whose name begins with a D. Don? I silently wonder. Why beware of him? Can't hurt me now. Maybe she saw the past. Here we have a hawk, which portends a love. It's close to the handle, so they are very near. She stares at the cup a little longer, mumbling to herself. I see an anchor, meaning success in love or business. The palm tree protects, predicts, sorry, predicts a good omen. Good things are coming your way. So I need to be wary of Don, but a great successful love is on the horizon for me. Insightful. She sets the cup down and laces her fingers on the table. She regards me down her nose for several seconds. Let me see your right hand, she commands eventually. I don't have much money, I caution her, keeping my hands in my lap. I am not about to waste money on some fake palmry. No charge, rests. That makes no sense. How does she expect to make money if she's giving out free tea leaf and palmry? Nevertheless, I find myself extending my right hand. Feel her rough hands on mine, working it over like a sculptor play. I'm not used to this level of human contact, but I try to swallow my discomfort. Text my left hand too. I see a troubled past with much damage, she begins. Much pain and sadness. But on the right hand, your future, I see immense power and happiness. I see that you are an artistic person with a flair for writing. You care too much what people think of you, but you shouldn't. Your lifeline is rather long, so I expect you'll live well into your 80s. Married once, and you'll meet your future spouse by the time you're 30. 
She squints at my hand, pulling it closer to her eyes. Possibly kill children for you. I don't like kids, I say unabashedly. You think of your cats as children? Seanette challenges, looking deep into my eyes. A boy and a girl. I go to pull my hand back, but she holds it more tightly. Have what it takes to make it in whatever career you choose. You are a natural born leader. I'm sorry, Gabriel, we have to stop. You're good. Thank you so much. Thanks. That was super fun. Thank you. I love hearing you play the different parts. That's, That's really it's fun. my thing. Thank you. <laughs> it's very entertaining. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. Oh. Um, again, Gabriel's book is Witched. And uh, I know for certain you can find it on Amazon. I know this. Okay. Um, finally tonight, our third reader of the evening is Andrew Allen Smith, and he will be reading from his not even yet a week old book called Yet Another Slice of Fear. Andrew, which short story from the collection will you be reading for us tonight? We're going to be reading part of Surgery. Awesome. Won't when you are, when yeah. you are ready, please take the microphone and read aloud. Super. I want to read Gabriel's uh, silence. I am concentrating. Uh, it was just too fun. But, it was fun. Um, surgery. Darla was apprehensive. The job was supposed to be easy. The surgeon, the neurosurgeon, and her GP all said there would be no problem. It was routine surgery. And the worst case would be that she might not feel much better than she does now. The best case was that all of her pain would be gone. <laughs> The surgery included accessing her spine straight through her neck and fusing two vertebrae from the front. There shouldn't be any issue with this type of surgery, and it was very methodical and successful across most cases. Everyone involved continued to tell her it was 99.9% .9 risk-free, and that although her recovery would be three to four weeks, they felt confident that she would feel better almost immediately. Darla didn't care. The pain over the last six months had gotten progressively worse and anything would be an improvement. Darla looked forward to the anesthesia and the excellent sleep she would get over the next several hours. Her anesthesiologist came into the room and explained that she would feel groggy and then sleep heavily. There would be no side effects. The anesthesiologist went on to explain that she would be well taken care of afterwards and that he would check in later. The nurses came in and ensured that she was in her ill-fitting gown with openings in the front and back to allow more access to her neck area. The actual procedure would be done at about the center of the esophagus and she would have a neat scar in the future. There was one final check of all the vital signs and a lot of movement. One of the nurses ensured her IV was well set and injected a small syringe into the IV line. This is just going to help you relax. You might get a little loopy, It'll be okay. Is your family here with you? My brother is out in the waiting room, Darla said. He's probably playing video games right now, but I'm sure he'll come back when I'm done. Typical brother, you know, lived with him for 16 years and then moved out to get away from him. Now I can't seem to get rid of him. The nurses checked the chart. I see here he's allowed to get your status, so I will go out when the surgery is over and let him know, and then the doctor will talk to him shortly after that. Darla was starting to feel very sleepy. Her eyes were heavy. She felt very relaxed. I feel pretty good. That means the drugs are working and that's a good thing. The nurse was moving cords around. We're going to head down now. The next few minutes felt like a race car drive as nurses moved the bed backward and forward until they were in a large surgical amphitheater. 
Darla looked up and saw the shapes of people in an upper area and remembered she had signed the consent for this to be a learning surgery. Not many people did the surgery with the new 3D print. The advantage was more mobility after surgery. With, uh, uh, and But the disadvantage was that it was a little more invasive as they rebuilt the vertebra. A group of nurses gathered around Darla and moved her to the surgical platform. Darla barely noticed and felt really good by this time. A man in a mask appeared behind her and looked into her eyes. How are you feeling? I feel most excellent. The anesthesiologist laughed. Okay, I'm going to give you something right now, and I want you to count backward from 10. Just 10? Darla laughed. I'm a really good counter, and I think all you'll need more. Go ahead and count backward for me, the anesthesiologist said. 10. Where was I? I remember being prepped for surgery, but I couldn't remember what happened afterwards. I try to look around and realize I can't move. My head is frozen in place, and there's no way I can move it. A light above me flickers, and I try to open my eyes. I'm so tired, and my body feels funny right now. Slowly, I open my eyes and realize I'm in some type of room. There are windows above me, and it's cold and sterile all around. My eyes begin to focus, and I see the lights hanging at curious angles above me. I'm not sure what's going on, and I feel as though I'm a little detached. I try to move my hands, and I'm stopped as I do so. As the feeling comes back to my arms, I realize I'm strapped down and cannot move. I try to focus on what I can see. That's when I notice the windows above me are splattered with holes. As my eyes focus further, I see blood on those windows. What happened? I have no idea, and as I try to swallow, I realize there's a tube down my throat. I start to panic, and my breathing becomes irregular. I try to strain, and I can feel my night neck tighten in my head, held solidly from both sides. I remember from reading on the internet and how my head was immobilized and the body was immobilized so the patient couldn't move during surgery. I'm trying to slow my breathing, but I'm overcome with fear as I struggle to understand what's happening. My eyes swivel from side to side as fast as they can, and I see nothing but the shattered windows above me. The spotlight focused on me now dim and cracked, and something on the light above me. Is that blood? I saw this in a video game when my brother was playing it, but now I was the center of it. I was trapped on an operating table, strapped down, unable to move, and no one in the room but me. I think this is when the zombies came in and ripped my brains out. I'm expecting every inch of windows and realize a stain is in the bottom corner. At first, I don't recognize it, but fairly quickly, I realize it is a bloody handprint dragging down the window and disappearing. I'm sure someone is lying on the floor where I can no longer see. I remember coming into the room and the preparation and the anesthesiologist asking me to count backward from 10. How far did I count? I'm not sure. I think I only counted to 10. I tried to scan with my eyes for a clock. I can't see one. My breathing is ragged and I wish I could get this tube out of my throat. I want to gag and I can't even do that. Panic is setting in. I'm straining. Darkness seems to close in on me. I feel my hands tingling. And that's where we'll stop. <laughs> well done. Nice. Always, uh, you're always good for a little tension here and there, Andrew. Well done. Yay. Thank tension. you, everybody, for your wonderful readings tonight. Again, Andrew's book is Yet Another Slice of Fear. There it is. Gabriel's book is 
Witched. And Deborah and Matt's book is The Wonder Code. There it is. Look, two of them. <laughs> Good job, guys. <laughs> All right. Now, it's time to everybody turn on your microphones. This is where the insanity begins, or I should say, this is where the, the insanity continues. We, it's time again to start our interrogation session in the case of the missing manuscript. The, the sardonic manuscript is missing. Who took it and why did they take it? We have eight suspects. Chloe Holiday is a mysterious character. Ruby Fink, a psychic. Melinda Falgo is a researcher who's been missing for two days, oddly enough. Wait, Andrew Allen Smith is an historical author. Amy Kelso is our head librarian. She's a bit grumpy sometimes, so watch out. Jules Only Nelson. if you break the rules. <laughs> <laughs> Jules Nelson is our library director. Marianne Wheeland is our cafe manager. And Deborah Reed, once again, acting as our intrepid reporter. Here's the thing. Whoops. It's time to figure out who did it. Ask your questions, interrogate our suspects, get ready, ready to sling your accusations at the end of the month. If you miss something, watch the replays. They're posted to our Facebook page and on our website. If you hear the phrase, I have nothing to say about that, it means that either you have asked a question that is irrelevant to the manuscript's missing status, or the uh, uh, person that you ask simply does not have that information, and that gives you an idea to go on to another line of questioning. So let the madness begin. Who's going to be first to ask questions? Look at Amy jumping out there. Go, Amy. Well, first of all, I have finally got to watch the recording of the interrogation from the day that I was not here and you all accused me, which was totally not fair. Just have to say that because everybody knows who's the one who's going to take the book and it definitely wasn't me. That would be ridiculous. Well, my um, suggestion is don't mess in a future interrogation so that you can stand up for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to be here and help at the library all I can, but I do actually have just a little bit of a life. Not much, but a very much. Um, I do actually have a question, though, as well. Yes. I want to ask Miss Reporter Deborah, um, why in the heck, what, why did you suddenly decide to write a blog about this book? Now, it makes sense now that it's missing. All of a sudden, you're interested in it. But where did you get the idea to write a blog for <laughs> Again, Christoph, are you trying to upstage me? And Christopher's always oh, upstaging uh, everybody. Go ahead, Deborah. See if you can answer Amy's question. He's got some like vendetta against me. I don't know. And you know what? Just because the manuscript itself is a good story, Miss Librarian, as you should know. Well, I rare. know, but it's rare. So why would I not want to cover it on my blog? I want to know who tipped you off that it was even there at the library. What made you realize it was there to investigate? 
I'm not sure I have anything to say about that. Very good. <laughs> All right. Who's next to ask a question? Mary Ann, go ahead. Yes. Um, I have a question for Ruby. Um, yes. Ruby, um, a couple of times so far, you've mentioned that you see the numbers two and four. Mm -hmm. Are you trying to tell us maybe that your psychic powers are saying there's more than one person involved in this theft? Maybe two or four people, maybe a collaboration? Uh, no, it does not appear to be anything of that sort. However, I do believe that they have significance. I can't tell you any more than that, though. Hmm. But you don't have the impression that it's more than one thief we're dealing with. Is that, I, is that your answer? I don't have a vision of two to four people stealing the manuscript, if that's what you're asking. Okay. You know, for being a psychic, you're not very forthcoming with, you know. I know that. That's how those psychic people are, unfortunately. They don't want to be helpful. Oh. If, they're and real. Also I, if I could control my visions, then it would be so much easier, I'm sure. But that is not the way it works. Oh, Gary, okay. go ahead. Well, that's convenient. Gary, I, go ahead. I have a question for Amy. Oh, yes, go ahead. Yeah, they, uh, at one point we heard that Melinda had had uh, mis put the book in different places in the library. Did she tell Jules this? That this had happened? Did she tell Jules? Did you? Did I tell Jules? I have Jules nothing to say about that. That she had moved the books around? Yeah. Hmm. I have to think about that one. I don't, I don't know if I mentioned it, but let, let me ponder it. I will get back to you in just a moment, Gary, on that. Because it would, I would wonder is that what would be the thing of letting somebody who keeps moving the books around and then tries to take the books out uh, to let them back in the library. With well, that's, that's what I was thinking valuable. when Jules let them back in. Um, and just so you know, once, once, she melinda was asked to leave by me i made sure the book was safe it wasn't until miss nelson let her back in that the book got put back on the shelf i can tell you that and i don't miss, remember about the other miss kelso is it possible for someone to have disabled the alarm connected to the tags on the book like an individual book no is it possible that somebody could have disabled the alarm itself? Is is are are the controls to the alarm in a place where somebody might have had access to them? They, I don't think I have anything to say on that. Okay. Anyone else have questions? Mark McCraw, go ahead. Okay, because you're a psychic, and criminals, uh, criminologists, and and police officers use use psychics all the time. Would this two to four maybe be a shelf, maybe the second shelf or a fourth shelf? Is that what the two and four might be? I'm not entirely sure uh, what the number pertains to, but I do know I'm seeing a six after the four. And I'm afraid that's all I know on the subject. I, th I think it's two, four, six, eight. Who do we appreciate? Well done. So uh, anyone else have any questions? Day. I'm sorry, Emma? What? 
Did you say something? I'm sorry. No. Okay. Anyone else have questions? Please just feel free to jump in. I don't know. Marianne's awfully quiet again. Chloe's no. quiet. Well, I would like to say something. Go ahead, Marianne. I would like to thank Amy because she does such a good job at keeping the library quiet. Thank that's you. I why I go, that's why I go over there so often just to sit in solitude by myself so that I can have peace out of the racket in the cafe with everybody coming in there and talking and yakking. I don't know how you handle it, talking. really. But I, I can I imagine that a cafe would get very noisy sometimes. It, it does. It gets very noisy, especially there are certain people that come around all the time and there's so much racket. And as sometimes they sit at the table, sometimes they sit right up at the bar and you can't hear yourself <laughs> think and you have to get out of there. You just have to get out of there. Does anyone so else have any other questions? We're down to about three minutes of interrogation time left. Another question. Yes, go ahead, Mark. Okay, okay. So if it, you're talking about being quiet, Andrew was not quiet because he's trying to sell his book in the library. Mm -hmm. So how can it, how can that be if if he's going around from place to place and making all that noise? You surely would have heard him, Amy and Marianne. Oh, trust me, I did, and I definitely spoke to him. We tried to get him to get out of there. That was part of part, just part of the crazy chaos of that day authors they're so pushy oh, they are aren't they? i mean <laughs> i appreciate they writing the books but then they should just be quiet and let the books speak for themselves silent <laughs> except you know if, if you were an author book. if you were an author you would know the books don't speak for themselves they don't <laughs> uh, good book no. does <laughs> i don't Only know audio book Audio. Oh, oh, didn't make no money until after he was dead and I, I make money while i'm still alive <laughs> Christopher, you you have you have something to contribute to Christopher? <laughs> well, here you go, Christopher, because you know if I was intelligent enough to steal the manuscript where no one could know that it was possibly me, I would not be hiding it in my home. Just saying. No, Matt did it. Oh, she just said she is hiding it, just not in her home. Yeah, I like not okay, you know, Miss Librarian, it's about time for you to just. Yeah, but it could be in her bag, though. Remember, <laughs> she did have a bag. In her bag that she had. Everyone had a bag. It wasn't just me. <laughs> um. So, <laughs> is it in a balloon? Oh my God. Okay. So, um, uh, uh, Chloe, do you have anything to add to this conversation? You have been conspicuously quiet this evening. It's a library. You're supposed to be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just having fun watching people. I mean, I, it, and I'm not sure it matters what I'm going to say, frankly. Well, so, um, so what you're telling have me, already decided it's me. So well, what's Frank got to do with it? Frank so has got nothing to do with it. What What you're telling me, Chloe, is that it's kind of fun to sit back and watch the rats scramble. <laughs> I would never have said it like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have about 30 seconds left. Does anybody have one last question? Anybody? Go ahead, Jules. I was going to answer, I think it was Gary that asked it earlier, if Amy had told me about Melinda <laughs> putting it back in various places. And she, she didn't tell me that because she was 
in, I think, in control of the situation, and she didn't feel like I needed to know. Um, but if I had known that, I probably wouldn't have let her back in for a second chance. I'm always giving people a second chance. So, but it 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 can be I a was, silly feel, right? I was actually just realizing. I it took me a little bit, Gary, to remember, but no, I didn't actually mention to Jules because Jules is always in her office busy and doesn't have time and doesn't really care about the run of things or that things are organized correctly. She just leaves that all to me. Good thing. I can handle it. The, the difference between the worker bees and the CEO, right? It's just <laughs> the important people here. Yes. <laughs> all right, everybody, that wraps up tonight's interrogation session. Well done. Uh, we will be doing it again tomorrow night. So if you didn't get a question asked today, um, feel free to join us again tomorrow night and we will ask more and uh, grill the suspects yet again. This is the most fun I've ever had in a festival, you guys. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I'm having a blast. Also, <laughs> we have a virtual scavenger hunt going on on our website. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Riddle Master Jacob Bullen. I could not have pulled this off without him. We are very grateful for his um, his creativity and his expertise. If you go to the website and you look at the scavenger hunt doors, there's a different door for every day. Click on it, it will open. Make sure that you scroll to the top of the website so that you can see the window that pops up. And that's where you'll find the clues, each riddle you have to answer a clue. The clues are found in the titles of the books that we read each night. Corresponding titles go with the corresponding days and riddle numbers. Fill out your handy dandy scavenger hunt form, send it in complete, send it in correctly, and we will um, we'll choose winners from those co correct answers. We are giving away snazzy prizes. Check the website for that information as well. Author fingerprint contest. CSI was busy for four hours today, combing through our evidence locker and looking over all of the fingerprints. We had to send some through APHIS because they were partial prints. We got them all back. We now have totals for you. They are in the updated casebook on the website. Congratulations, Amy Kelso. She has reached the high score of 47 fingerprints. Um, again, you get fingerprints authors by inviting your friends, neighbors, loved ones, not so loved ones, into the room every <laughs> night. And uh, you collect fingerprints for them being here. Remember, authors, when you name other authors in the group, you will also get double finger points for those. So you get extra bonus finger points every time you finger another author. See what I did there? What I did there? Oh. <laughs> All right, here we are. Here are the leading, here's the leaderboard for the leading detectives. Amy Kelso is in the lead with 47. Andrew comes second with 44. Deborah has 36. Jules has 35, and Chloe, you are on the board at 32. Congratulations. Hey, Yeehaw. I was going to uh, say, third day in a row, middle finger, Andrew. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I just went right past him. He still stayed at the third middle finger. <laughs> if, if, if you guys have never done this before, we're just having so much fun. Oh, my God. 
Yeah. Um, thank you to Christopher for always bringing us the happiness in our day. <laughs> um, just to make this uh, a little bit easier for my math deficient brain to follow, I have added a witness witness ledger to the website so that you can all see how many witnesses come into the interrogation room every day of festival. As you can see, we've got some really fun numbers. Um, I will add tonight's numbers after festivals over tonight to the witness ledger. Again, you can find this on the website. In just a minute, we are going to play the spinny wheel of happiness. This is where we give away <laughs> free books to randomly selected people who are in the room. Um, the nightly loot, we call it, one copy signed by the author that read, um, in, in the case of Matt and Deborah, they will both sign your book for you. Um, just one copy though, not two. <laughs> yeah, just one. Um, if you've won, send your mailing address to me at diana at pagespromotions.com and authors will ship out books by March 5th. So if you don't see it tomorrow, don't worry, it'll be in the mail. All righty, before, while I prep the last few moments of the spinny wheel, because I always have to double check to make sure it's accurate, we're gonna play a lightning round once again. This is a fun way for us to all get to know each other a little bit more, to learn a little bit about our reading and writing processes and preferences. Tonight's question is, lightning round, remember guys, um, do you read, generally read multiple books at the same time or just one at a time? Mark, you're up first. One at a time. Okay, easy enough. Marianne, what about you? Just one at a time. So. Amy? Generally one at a time as long as um, I can. Okay. <laughs> Mandy Jo? One. Wow, you guys are so singular. <laughs> uh, Deborah Harris, what about you? Multiple. On average, how many? Um, usually two. Okay. Um, Matt, what about you? One. And Deborah? Usually one. You guys. Chloe, how many do you read at a time? Three or four. Oh, wow. thank you. I feel better Goodness. now. <laughs> Oh, well, you know, you have one upstairs and one downstairs and one in the car and, you yeah. know, and so, yeah, yeah. I, I feel better about myself now. Uh, Christopher, how many do you read at a time? I like my books, like I like my men, one at a time. <laughs> I'm sure, I am sure your husband is happy to hear that. Gabriel, what about you? Both, sometimes one, sometimes more, like I think I have close to 40 on my currently reading on Goodreads. Wow, awesome. Uh, I mean, Lynn, over like 10 years, to be fair. Not... Okay. <laughs> Lynn, Lynn, what about you? How, much, how many do you read at a time? I generally read one, but sometimes I get distracted. So if someone gives me a really good book, I might get distracted. So, but generally one. Okay. Jules, what about you? She's so quiet. <laughs> she is so quiet. Um, I, I mean, I typically, if I there's a really good book, I'll read it from start to finish. But um, I don't know. I sometimes have three or four going on at the same time. So, excellent, Diana Duro. What about you? 
I usually three or four. Yeah, but they're I, different I figures. Yeah, I figured because <laughs> you're you're like reading maniac, and and we appreciate yeah. you. So thank you, uh, Melinda. What are you reading? Um, I usually read a couple at a time, um, but they're always in different genres. I think at one point I was reading Witches of Eastwick at the same time I was reading a middle grade, you know, comedy. So it just depends. Yeah, absolutely. All she ever reads is a static manuscript. I know the truth. (laughs) (laughs) Andrew, what about you? I have no idea. A lot at a time. Four or five <laughs> at the same time. Okay. Uh, Ruby. So I read a whole bunch of webtoons and those update every week or so, give or take sometimes twice a week. So I've got multiple timelines that I have to keep track of. And then if someone gives me a really good book, then I, I might take a break and read that while I'm doing the webtoons or I'll just take a break mm-hmm. and read the book in, <laughs> on its own. It really depends. So uh, depends on the you, mood at the moment, right? Yeah, depends yeah. on how good it is. Uh, really does. Okay, Emma. I can read two, but they have to be in different genre. Yep, like poetry and anything that goes with that. Diane Chataway, what about you? Normally, I'm reading about three to four books at any given time. Sometimes in the car, the kitchen, audiobooks, one by the bed. Yeah, everywhere. Very cool. Awesome. Thank you. Katie. Done. Hi, sorry. sorry. Uh, they just got home. Um, I'm generally two, one physical book, one audiobook. Okay. Uh, Jacob. I, I also have a book in every room, usually different genres, reference book, whatever I'm reading and sponsored. Awesome. Um, Jennifer Rains, what about you? How many are you reading right now? Uh, two, um, often daytime and nighttime, different genres. Ooh, nice. I like that. Breaking <laughs> nice. up the day. <laughs> nice. Uh, Gary Floyd. Usually one. I'm very linear. Okay. John Rinaldi. Uh, when I walk the dog, I uh, do an audio book. When I paint, a different audio book, and then I read something else at night between my writing. That's very awesome that you're using books to inspire art. I love that. That's fantastic. Jan Franklin, what about you? I read uh, one nonfiction and one fiction. And then when we go in our camper, I have another book that I just read when I'm in the camper. So perfect. And it's actually a book about campers. So that's kind of weird. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, when in Rome, right? (laughs) Uh, Dana Storino, what about you? Well, I have ADHD, so there's no way I'm sticking with one book. <laughs> I do at least <laughs> two to three. And I'm wondering if there's like a link with that. Cause I'm noticing like, there's some people who are like, yes, I have to three to four and others are like, nope, just one. So that's interesting. It is. It is. Preeti, what about you? Yeah. Audio books. I do have two, three at a Okay. Um, who's next on my list here? Where are you? Where's my list? Uh, Mandy Joe, I don't think we've heard from you yet. Did yeah, we? just oh. one. Okay. Um, Carly Storino, how many do you read at one time? Can't hear you, Carly. Gotta turn on your mic. She's saying multiple because of school. 
Oh, got it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's where I learned to juggle them as well. Um, Anisia, what about you? How many do you read in a night? About three. Okay, good. I don't mean in one night. I mean simultaneously. <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long night. Um, Mackenzie, what about you? Put it in the chat for us. Doo, 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 doo. Five on Kindle, three physical at a time. In the amount. <laughs> and just to clarify, half the time she gets all eight of those done like in a weekend. So that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> that is very awesome. Um, yeah, I'm the same way. I I I inhale books the way most people inhale television, um, four or five at a time, always in different genres. Um, I don't watch very much television, so reading books instead. All right, here we go. We are gonna spin. The amazing, incredible spinny wheel of happiness. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, yes. <laughs> um, if you signed up by 6.45 PM to join us tonight, your name is on the wheel. Um, I'm going to spin the wheel three times. We're going to give away books. The first spin is going to be for Gabriel's book, which is titled Witched. The second spin is going to be for <laughs> Matt and Deborah's book titled the Wonderland Code. And thirdly, but certainly not leastly, Andrew Allen Smith's book, Dancing on the Screen for Your Entertaining <laughs> Pleasure, is yet another slice of fear. So here we go. You ready, guys? This is the fun part of the night. Actually, it's all been fun. You guys are, you guys are so terrific. I'm so glad you guys are having a good time with this. This is awesome. Okay. Uh, I need to share my screen before I spin it, right? That would be good. Did you push the button? I'm gonna right <laughs> Yes, the button is pushed. Oh, Thank you, Andrew, for reminding good. me. The button is pushed. The button is pushed. Trust us with you, comrades. First spin for Gabriel's book. Yeah. See what happens, Christopher, the more you show up. You <laughs> okay, second spin is for Matt and Deborah Reed's book, The Wonderland Code. Here we go. <laughs> okay, and finally, Andrew's book is the final spin. Yet another slice of fear. <laughs> Hold it still if you're gonna do it, jeepers! <laughs> okay, here we go. Win. Um, everybody we i love giving away books it's so much fun um so again those of you who won send me your mailing address in an email to me within the next 24 hours at diana at pagespromotions.com put spinny wheel or you know i want a book or something to that nature in the subject line so that i am instantly flagged and we will get those books sent out to you by march 5th 
before we leave, I'm going to ask, we have a really, really big room tonight. So I'm just going to ask our eight um, uh, suspects if you guys have any <coughs> parting words for our group of detectives tonight. Marianne, we're going to start with you. Well, I think we have a lot of really interesting suspects and I don't know about the rest of you, but I've got a whole notebook with things written down. So <laughs> watch out, <laughs> but it's been really fun. It's been a lot of fun. Amy. I just want to remind you that my job is to keep order in the library. So there's no way that I would mess that up by taking a book. So obviously it's not me. That's all I got to say. Because mm -hmm. chaos isn't your thing, right? Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. oh. <laughs> Chloe, any parting words? seems like some people protest too much. That's, mm -hmm. that's what I'm getting. Guilty, guilty, guilty. We all know who it is. Mm -hmm. uh, Jules. Oh, you got to turn your microphone on, dear. Mute yourself. Sorry about that. Um, I was going to say, um, I just, I have a feeling that it's, it must just be somewhere still in the library, but um, I don't, I don't know who would do it because um, I don't know. There's just some well, real because you groups. give you give everybody second chances. So why that's why so and bribes? <laughs> you think if it was somewhere in the library, I wouldn't know where it is. Like I don't know where everything exact is. That's my job. You know, know. Yeah, I don't think it's on the shelf. I think it's hidden somewhere. But hmm, I don't know where. Okay. Did we lose Diana? I did. Well, apparently we did. Who's <laughs> left? Deborah? Uh, Deborah, give your thoughts. Oh, no, there we are. There we are. All I have to say. <clears throat> Melinda, Christopher, what were you I'm coming for your notebook and your pencils, and I'm ripping them all in half. <laughs> <laughs> oh. No uh, more signs. <laughs> Melinda, what did you have to say? I'm sorry, I missed it. Well, I just want everybody to know that I wouldn't dare <laughs> offend my newfound family information and my new family by doing something as ridiculous as stealing a book from a library. Okay. After all, I'm an orphan. I know. Oh, so I know. Didn't think about Andrew. that a week ago when you tried to steal the book. Okay, Andrew. I have two things to say. First of all, I want to say, yeah, I, if everybody would just read my book, The Way of the Antiquities, they'd understand <laughs> that this is an important thing. We got to pay close attention to it. <laughs> second of all, in a, my almost normal voice, I've got to say thanks everybody that showed up on my behalf tonight. I had some great people show up. Uh, and I mean, this is this has been really good today, and I really appreciate everybody that uh, that comes out and listens to me read my psychotic ramblings. So uh, all of us appreciate yeah. it. Yes, thank you, everyone. Ruby, parting shots before we go. Yes, please stop asking for things that I can't see and pay attention to what I can. <laughs> Excellent. All right. With that, you guys, we are all done. We are out for the night. Thank you, everybody, for coming. And we will see you again right here, same bat channel, same bat time tomorrow night. Bye, everybody.